Blog Talk Radio. Thinketh, 
It was written in 1902 by James Allen as a meditation on a verse from Proverbs, which is, as a man thinketh, so he becomes. And I apparently was recommended reading in the early days of AA before they began publishing program-specific material. As a Man Thinketh wasn't written specifically for or about addiction, but it is rec- uh, considered a recovery classic because it reflects on you know, the power of positive thinking or how your thoughts affect your actions and how your actions add up to your life events. So I still cherish this little book. And um, if you look at my profile picture on Twitter, which is uh, Unpickled Blog is my Twitter handle, you'll, you'll see me there with my nose right in that book. So it's probably more meaningful to me now, more than ever. And uh, I know I read it and smile. I don't read it and cry like a drunk, weepy girl anymore. <laughs> But, but I want to know the person the person that told you that it was a book for alcoholics was that person an alcoholic or how did they know that I don't know and I I can't remember how that came about I I I think it was in passing that that someone saw that book and was like oh that's blah blah, blah. and yeah <laughs> so I think I was so shocked like it's been it's been many years since that happened and. Um, I, I can't even remember who the person was that told me that, but I sure remember the absolute shock because, you know, I think, you know, at some part I was I was already starting to sort of question myself. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> but right. Okay. Maybe they, they were know. a guardian angel. <laughs> Catherine, yeah. you're an avid reader, and I know you love books. What recovery classics are in your your toolbox? Is there anything kind of off the beaten track? Yeah, well, you know, kind of starting, absolutely, I, I, I have my Kindle sitting next to me here just so I can reference my my trove of <laughs> recovery reading here. But, you know, I think the key thing that books did for me, especially in the beginning, was to show me that I was not alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here I was reading about other people, normal, intelligent people that had the same feelings of shame and hopelessness and fear that I had. And also that other people, those same normal, intelligent people, they did embarrassing things when they were drunk. They experienced blackouts. They felt the disease progressing and getting more and more out of control. And I guess shame and loneliness really kept me hiding for a long time. And I I tried in my head to get a grip on my drinking on my own for so long. And the idea of getting sober or admitting that I was an alcoholic, it just, that was so hard. And some of these books showed me, wow, that's, I'm not alone. And, you know, the first book is certainly a a classic that a lot of people talk about is uh, Drinking, A Love Story by Caroline Knapp. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I had all kinds of mixed emotions reading this book. You know, this was right after I got sober. I've talked about here when I I got sober and then I started traveling for work a few days later for about seven weeks, basically straight. So I had a lot of time to read. And on the one hand, some of her descriptions of alcohol, I have to say they made me want to drink. And it was this weird thing. Um, I think I was still in that sort of love story phase of thinking about drinking. But then if I'm honest about it, I think I experienced some degree of judgment and disdain at certain points. Like, well, at least I never did that. I mean, I remember this one part of the book where she's talking about trying to get through a family 
event or some a weekend at her parents' house or something like that, and she has a bottle of hard liquor, whatever it was, and that wasn't my drink of choice. I didn't really relate to it, and she kept having to sneak to her room to kind of take nips of it, and I remember feeling judgy, but then it was, I was able to see myself in it so much because I could think about times that I was at my parents' house pretending to the do, to do the dishes. Well, I was doing the dishes, but it was really an opportunity to sneak extra wine. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I really identified with her um, so much. And another thing in the book, it introduced me to this set of questions that are designed by the National Council of Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. They're questions to help people decide whether they have a problem with drinking. And these are 26 questions, and the author provides her own yes or no answers. So I'm reading along, and I'm providing my own answers. And this time I'm doing that honestly because I had often over a few years before I got sober sort of drunkenly found myself clicking around, you know, am I an alcoholic online? And like the Alcoholics Anonymous website has a list of questions. It's like 10 or 12 questions. And I would always sort of say, well, you know, I don't really drink alone, like only sometimes. (laughs) So I'll answer that one no, you know. (laughs) And I sort of fudge the answers. And then you, you get to the bottom of the thing and it and it says if you answered any one of these questions yes you may be an alcoholic and i i i did this repeatedly and felt duped every time <laughs> like this is a trick but as i was reading drinking a lot story so she's got these 26 questions it's more comprehensive and you know some examples of the questions that i answered yes to were do you eat very little or irregularly when you're drinking, yes. Have you recently noticed that you cannot drink as much as you once did? Yes. Do you sometimes feel very depressed and wonder if life is worth living? Yes. And what was shocking about the quiz was not just that I answered yes to so many of the questions. It was that NAP tells us that the questions are written in order of the progression of the disease. So these questions that I answer here are towards the end of the quiz, and they indicate middle and late-stage alcoholism. And I have to say I was stunned and terrified. I mean, I had late-stage symptoms. Like, it felt really true because of the way the questions were were framed, Um, even though – I think for a long time I had hid behind this idea of like, well, I still have this demanding job and I still have a home and I still have a relationship. So I'm not this derelict under the bridge. There's no sort of outward quote unquote signs of a problem, but there was no denying this. And to see that um, indication of late stage symptoms, you know, I, I had a very clear feeling after I read that, that there was no going back. And I felt like this was my one shot and that I was truly on the knife edge of physical addiction, which was something that I didn't have, um, but we've talked about on this show before, can happen very quickly and very suddenly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and maybe I was on the point of no return. And all of this just 
it really helped me stay honest and focused in the beginning because I think especially in the beginning, it can be really easy for us to try to justify or, or talk ourselves out of our initial decision to get sober. Like, oh, I feel better now. Maybe I wasn't really that bad. Right. And needed a cleanse. Here was, <laughs> yeah, I just needed yeah. a cleanse. And, like, here were these questions that were like, have you recently noticed you cannot drink as much as much as you once did? Yes. And that's a sign of late-stage alcoholism. That's really scary. So I don't know. Have either of you read this book? or I, I read it. Um, this is Jean. I, I read that book later in my recovery. I was probably two years um, sober when I read that book. And um, so, uh, you know, I... I saw a lot of myself in it, but for me, it was I was already pretty validated in knowing that. Um, right. You know, so, and I've heard all different responses to that book. It's such a powerful book, and I think depending on what stage of recovery you read it at, you know, you'll connect to a different part of it. I really remember some of the things that she said that I had personally written myself without having written that book. One of which was that. In recovery, you have all of these firsts, right? So you go to your first wedding sober and your first convention sober. And, mm. and um, that everything for the first few years, you know, everything was a first and, and everything was so new. And I wasn't really, I didn't have dialogue I was comfortable with yet in how to say no to a drink, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I really feel like you're so vulnerable and so raw. And, um, you know, I'm a person who's really good at getting... The, the gauging the temperature of the room quickly and, you know, finding my place in that room and assimilating and working the crowd. And, you know, that's what you do at networking events and stuff. But but everything was new to me. And so I, I she really, she did such a beautiful job of just describing what the experience is like for so, so many people. And I agree. I did yeah. find it a little triggering sometimes, too, that I had to just take a break from reading it because I think... Um, she was such a great writer that you were just right there with her and you could almost just feel the, you know, the release of having a drink. And it was sort of like, yeah. almost like reading a steamy book, you know, woo. <laughs> 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 what a love story. And, yeah. you know, I do, I'm, I, I'm a fan of uh, memoir to begin with. And so I did, I definitely read other recovery memoirs. Um, Dry by Augustine Burroughs is one. I mean, that's, different it's it's more masculine his just his tone and his style is is different and, and he goes to rehab and then relapses um but that was uh that was an interesting one and um another one was uh, sober truths by Jill Kelly uh Dr. Jill Kelly I think it's the the subtitle is the making of an honest woman and that one was interesting too because that appealed to this idea that I'm so smart, <laughs> how could this be happening to me? Um, how did I let this happen? And, you know, here's this woman who's got a doctorate, and I'm not even close to that. Um, so that those were... Read? I haven't read that one. But yeah, that, that, that definitely was. Um, and stylistically, that was different as well. Um, a little more... I would, she was more clinical, I think, in her some of her descriptions, but it it was really powerful in terms of the um, 
like her relationships with men and how alcohol played into all of that. So that was really powerful, especially when she was in her 20s. Um, that was interesting. And then also we've had uh, Sasha Skoblik on the show, right, to talk about yeah. Unwasted. And that's just a brilliant memoir as well. And that's kind of, well, what do you do after you get sober? I wasn't on the program at that time, but Amanda, I mean, you were, right? So... I was, I was. I hadn't read the book, and um, and we'll we'll talk about that when we get to me. But I hadn't read it. But she was amazing, and it's just it's such a great book. Um, and yeah, I just I well, we'll I'll talk about that. But yeah, I she just. Read much I, I really recommend you know people go go look go look for that episode of the Bubble Hour um, because she's just so cool and normal and just you know, somebody that you say, wow, I want her as a girlfriend, you know, I can see her being my girlfriend and yet she's a recovering alcoholic. So maybe I can be too, you know, that was very encouraging. Yeah. 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 That is a really um, important awakening. I think that we all go through where we realize, oh, I'm not the only um, person in the world that's like this, you know, we, because Mm -hmm. we have, there's the stigma of alcoholism, but then there's the stereotypes in our own brains too, right? And we really have to realize that this is a common problem that many fine people share. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just it's it's so um, it's such a great relief to realize that there are other people out there, and there are people that we admire who um, you know have the same problem that you know we think is so shameful, and it really is encouraging. Amanda, mm-hmm. how about you? Have you read Absolutely. some contemporary recovery books that have been important to you? Well, interestingly, um, before I got sober, well, a couple things. Catherine, when you were um, saying about the quiz, um, it, it, um, being the, uh, I always feel like the bad girl on the show here, but because I had been through the court system a couple times for um, having, you know, the drunk driving, um, you know, getting arrested twice for that. I had to go to a six-month program, and they had that type of a quiz, and all those things, um, you know, all those questions were asked. And, you know, I sat in the class, and I, I think, you know, at, at that, well, for the first, I stopped after the second arrest, but at, for after the first arrest, I, you know, they asked all those questions, and I would, and, and some of them were yes, some of them were no. I mean, I, I was definitely um, a problem drinker at that time. I don't know if I was quite an alcoholic yet, but those questions had me thinking for a long time. Like I was paying attention to see if I had those signs. Like if you, um, if you, when you drink more, I, you know, do you find that you can't drink as much? Because I used to be able to drink right alongside with the guys, if not, you know, drink yeah. more than them. And then, you know, as the years went on, I saw that I couldn't handle my, you know, I couldn't handle it. And sometimes I could drink and sometimes I would have like two beers and be drunk. Um, so I was right. always, you know, I knew about that quiz, but I had never taken it. And I think it part of it is because I had, you know, I went through these classes that I, I never Googled and said, am I an alcoholic or anything like that. It wasn't until, you know, I got arrested again and I just completely surrendered and, you know, dove and you know went into detox the next day that um that I even decided to drink I was well aware that I was an alcoholic 
Um, and so I had no desire to read it, uh, read about it at all. I never um, read any uh, any books before I got sober. And um, but actually, before I got sober, I used to read all the time, constantly. I always had my book and a no- uh, my nose in a book, and you know a lot of you know mysteries and um, you know just a, a lot of. Uh, mysteries and like murder mysteries and um, sci- you know some sci-fi books and I was just constantly reading and I you know I couldn't read enough and I don't know why when I got sober I have not been able to read um, and I was thinking about this a lot today because I'm like well how do I explain this and why and obviously I read you know I've read certain recovery books and I have um, some books that I read that I'll mention in a second but I what I what I it finally occurred to me is I've always had ADD and mm. and I have a hard time sitting and focusing and and you know for good or bad I have noticed since I got sober that my ADD is pretty strong and I have a hard time sitting still I'm constantly on so the road So were you self medicating? Like, yeah, I like, was self medicating yeah. and you know so I'm trying to you know I've had to work hard um, on refocusing my energy and actually, um, you know, fortunately I'm in a job where it um, feeds my ADD. Like I need ADD to do my job. But if I ever had a job where I just sat and did the same thing all day long, I'd probably lose my job. I, 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 I can't do it. I'm constantly, you know, I'm constantly interrupted at work and that and that's why I think I've always been good at my job. But I, I find that, you know, just sitting still is very hard for me. Um, so I haven't read much, but the one time that I do have to be still, and there's books that I really want to read, like we had, um, you know, when, when Sasha was on the show, I felt terrible. I was I was brand new on the Bubble Hour, so I, I think at that point I was even just screening calls. I don't think I was a, a host. But I, I hadn't read the book, and I just I tried, but I, I just couldn't get to it. I, um, part of my problem, too, has been time. I feel like I I've been um running nonstop basically since I got sober because my life has gotten so full. You know, people talk about being bored and you know, my life um I have a hard time keeping up sometimes. So mm-hmm. that's a piece of it. And so when we talked about having um uh well, first I we were we probably a bit of um I, we were talking about the Anonymous People movie, and Kristen Johnston is in that movie. And so, you know, as she talked about her book, I was just in, really inspired to read it. And so I got the audio book because I spend about an hour and a half each way uh, to and from work. And I got the audio book, and it's her narrating the book. And it is absolutely amazing. Um, she's so and funny. That's book and that's called Guts, right? Guts, The Endless Follies and guts. Tiny mm-hmm. Triumphs of a Giant Disaster. And I can just identify with her so much and, you know, hearing her tell her own story, you know, in her own words. And it's just such a raw, honest book. I really just love it. And, um, you know, that is one book that I've really enjoyed. And another one we had um, in Dowsett Johnston. (laughs) I don't think they're related, same last name. But we had her as a guest on the show, and her book was Drink. Um, the intimate relationship between women and alcohol, and again, I bought the, I got the audio book and listened to that about three or four times, and that book is 
just absolutely amazing because it um she tells her own story in the book but she also talks about how um society you know how there's a 50% increase in alcoholism in women over the past 10 years and some of the contributing factors like that um you know the media how they how they play to women um, with advertising and stuff like, you know, um, skinny vodka, stuff that, you know, I've never even tried cause it's, because, it, you know, it's fairly new. But, you know, the mommy juice and all those things and how that's impacting women and how so many, how, you know, how women are gaining. And I think they've, they may have even passed men. or I, No, that's got to be wrong. Well, no, I don't, it doesn't have to be wrong. But that women are catching up with men in their rates of alcoholism, um, and how, you know, part of it is because of the social pressures and um, part of it is that women are just more susceptible. You know, we can't drink as much as men. We're not we're not fit, uh, physically built to, um, you know, hold alcohol the way that men do. And um, it's just, it's an amazing book. So I really enjoyed listening to those on audio and... Um, I'd love to sit down and read a book. I have a stack on my table right here, and um, another one that I'm really looking forward to reading is What Addicts Know, which is 10 Lessons from Recovery to Benefit Everyone by Christopher Kennedy Lawford, and um, that's something a a friend recommended to me, and um, it's here. I'm hoping to sit and read it. I'm trying, you know, I am trying to redirect my focus so that I can sit and read but you know that's just uh you know I thought I would share that anyone who's having a hard time uh, I used to read nonstop, and I was definitely self-medicating you know just even a little bit of wine would focus me and you know maybe I need I, you know I don't really want to be on ADD medicine so I'm trying to just uh calm my crazy head and sit and enjoy books because I love reading <laughs> but it sounds just sounds like the audio books the audiobooks are a great workaround. So, mm-hmm. we're, and we're really the fortunate one place to live still. in a time. So. We have a lot of options these days, and we're we're very fortunate. Yeah, there's so many ways Definitely. that we can access this information, and and um, not only that, but then you can go on the website and you know read extra notes about it and have discussions about the books we read and. Um, I, I don't know that you should feel bad, Amanda, about not being able to sit down and read like you used to. I think the, the benefits that have come from <laughs> from your changes are, are so much more important, and and having an audio book is a, is just as good. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Probably I better. Just, I wanted to comment. Johnson. Yeah, and this is Catherine. I, I could I comment on both of those books actually that I also read Guts by Kristen Johnson and and her her description of finally surrendering when she's in a hospital bed and she's surrendering to the fact that she's an addict is an extremely powerful moment of truth. And I mm-hmm. read that book when I probably had four or five months sober, and it really resonated with me. Um, if anybody's wondering, what, is that, what does surrender feel like? Why do they keep saying that? Um, her description of it is, is really powerful. And yeah. um, in, terms of, in terms of drink, I think I thought it was really important that Ann Dowsett Johnson weaves in a lot of important information about the disease of alcoholism. Um, 
you know, somebody famous has been in the news and, you know, died of, of an apparent drug addiction. And there's been a lot of um, debate and kind of backlash that you know, some people talking quite a bit about the disease of addiction. And, but then others who are really challenging that thinking, you know, that that's some kind of feel good position to justify bad behavior or selfishness. And, and it, I think it's important to note that it's long established science that alcoholism yeah. is a disease. Like, I'm not a doctor, but we're not making this up. And this has been in the annals of the medical uh, establishment for a long time. And so that's number one. But also the science, for me, it shines a, a lot a light on some of my cherished justifications for, for drinking. So, for example... I was kind of looking at some of my notes on it, that she cites statistics from the National Center for Chronic Disease and Prevention and Health Promotion at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. So when we think, oh, I'm only drinking moderately, the CDC actually defines binge drinking as four or more drinks on one occasion in the past month for women, <laughs> and it's five for men. And then, you know, I mean, I guess about every day? drill down further. How about every day? How about like 10 a day? <laughs> And, you know, and then she goes on to, you know, and if you look, the CDC website is an excellent resource for the science of this. And, you know, the clarification on what is actually a drink in terms of a proper pour, you know, like an actual three-ounce pour. I mean, I don't know about you, sisters, but my wine glass was not a three-ounce pour. <laughs> you know, that's not what I was no. drinking as my four drinks. So no. I had graduated know, to the fishbowl. Yeah, this is what I'm saying, you know, and then she cites studies about women's risks for addiction and the health consequences of drinking and, you know, I think for me, I only got it when I got it. I mean, when I was a smoker, I had gotten the memo that it was bad for me, you know, but that wasn't enough to compel me and I guess this is the same thing maybe, but in recovery, it's very helpful for me to to know the science and to know what my risks are and what the truth is. Yeah. Um, you know, it just it it knocks over all of my justifications. Yeah, yeah absolutely. that was a, that was a very very good book, and I think because um, and Delta Johnson wove in her incredible journalistic skills with her right. personal experience. There was just there was no arguing with that book. It was so powerful, and, and I highly recommend it. Even I think I've bought it for a few friends who um, you know aren't in recovery, don't need to be in recovery, and just said you need to read this because you have daughters, and you know you have mm-hmm. and as a woman in society today, you know I know that we all are just so aware of how we're treated by the media and by each other and by ourselves and. It was so insightful, that book. I think it's one that should be recommended reading first year university or college. They should just <laughs> give you that book. I agree. Yeah. Truly. How about fiction um, or contemporary recovery books? Um, do you have yeah. favorites there? This is Catherine. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of fiction as well as memoir. Um, and I thought of a, a few fiction books that I found really helpful. So the first one is called The Good House by Anne Leary. 
So it's the story of a woman who she's come out of rehab and she's designed what she thinks is the perfect plan to drink in secret. And she thinks she's covered all her bases. So no one will ever find out. She'll never leave the house. And just in short, she'll be able to drink safely. This is what she thinks. And a couple of things on this book. So I have to confess that there really was this kind of dark appeal to the protagonist's plan. And there was a twisted and icky feeling way deep down to see that I felt like her. And I think there was even this part of me that started plotting, like, oh, hmm, I wonder if I could sort of hide wine and, and you know, drink in such a way that no one will find out. Um, and I was reading this. I, I had gotten sober when I, when I read this book. Um, but that was kind of the main thing, the voice of this main character. She's the narrator. It, for me, it's absolutely pitch perfect as the voice of an active alcoholic, just the sneaky lies, the manipulations, the justifications, the blaming, the denial. And it's like, ugh, it was really, really uncomfortable to read. It just, for me, it hit so close to home. I mean, that was a stark reality. And, you know, the reality is not only can I not drink safely, which the character finds out the same thing, that despite her plan, she can't drink safely, but my thinking and my behavior was really twisted too, and that had to change. Um, I don't know. Did anybody else read that book? I'm just starting it. This is Jean. I'm. I've just started that book. And yeah, some friends of mine have said that it's a, it can be kind of triggery because of the voice. Yeah, I think you know. so. And I think it's triggery because it it is so um, close to home in a lot of ways. Like we, you know, I. Mm. I a lot of times I'll, um, you know, at the store or wherever, you know, if you're somewhere and you see alcohol and you think, well, I'm alone. Like, I could have that. I'm not going to. But there's just that flash where you're like, no one yeah. would know, right? And that, you know, yeah. in, that, in that flash, you make a decision to protect yourself. But there's, I, I just know that, like, wow, that little voice is still there. So I've just started reading yeah. that book. And I find it interesting because the – the business that the main character is in is very similar to the business that I'm in, and I'm, you know, close to the same age, and so I'm reading it thinking, oh, boy, how is this going to, uh, I don't know, we'll see We'll see if I can handle it, but but uh, yeah. I, I may find it I, just too close to home. I thought, I, I found it helpful, though, to see her, how her thought process, these, all this manipulation and justification unfurls before us and to see it on the page is like for me it was like seeing my own thoughts kind of scroll right out in front of me and I couldn't deny that that was how I was <laughs> mm. um, so that's that's just be uh, be thoughtful that that's what you're getting into you're getting you might be climbing into your own tiny little mind if you're if you're going to read that book but <laughs> Um, don't go alone. Another, don't go. <laughs> exactly. Um, another character, a fictional character that I really love is a woman named Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is in two Anne Lamott novels, Crooked Little Heart and Imperfect Birds. So these two books are about Elizabeth and her daughter, Rosie, who is 12 or 13 in the first book and 17 in the latter. And 
Elizabeth is in recovery in both books, although in the second she has come back from a relapse. Um, and just coincidentally, I I did read them in order. I, I didn't realize that they were about the same family when I read them. Um, and, you know, what I love about Elizabeth is she's so real. And she tells us about some of her regrettable behavior when she was actively drinking. She tells us some of the things that she does to deal with her life, with her daughter, her emotional struggles, her sobriety. So, you know, like calling a friend, like going to a recovery meeting, um, like learning to pray or let go, even though she says she doesn't believe in God. And, you know, I just, I think that fiction is really a beautiful way to experience our truths with compassion because the way the way I feel about great fiction is, you know, I love and appreciate the characters. And I feel like when we can see that they're like us, we can come away with the belief that maybe in sobriety, we can love and appreciate ourselves. Mm. And that's, that's just a real gift of like great fiction that you fall in love with these characters. Mm, That's so true. And I I think it's a reminder that life is about a lot of things besides like, along with our recovery, you know, stories unfold and and our lives unfold. And sometimes we're just like our nose is so tied to that grindstone that we, of recovery, you know, that we we sort of forget to take that breath and really soak in the the life that's going on around us. And the stories can do that. I think you're right. Definitely. And then I I also really enjoyed um, Amy Hassany's Best Kept Secret. I know she was on the Bubble Hour several months ago as well. Um, That one is very tied up with the character's um, struggle as an actively alcoholic mother. And I don't have children, so that was, I was a little bit separate from that kind of aspect of it. But I mentioned the book, in particular because I think that if you're if you're a parent and you're you're drinking, you know, that could be a real um a real stark look at mm-hmm. you know, the way the way it can be and, and the character you, you just have a lot of compassion for her in her journey. I, I really enjoyed Amy uh, on that episode of the Bubble Hour, too. Um, for our listeners, yeah. if you haven't heard it, I highly recommend um, listening to it because for I, I'm a writer. I do a lot of writing, and um, I really enjoyed everything she had to say from the perspective of, of an author and, and about writing and recovery. And, and, um, Agreed. Great episode. Um, well, I have a, a book to recommend as well. It's one that I um, often suggest people look at if they're sort of um, considering recovery or wondering if they're an alcoholic. And <clears throat> that book is called Almost Alcoholic. And it's by um, Drs. Doyle and Nowinski of the Harvard Health Publications. So um, pretty good credentials behind the, the folks that put this book together. And there's actually a series um, in the Almost series that Harvard Health put together that sort of looks at, it takes the stance that no one, in general, we don't wake up the next day with a disease. Uh, there's a progression and um, that it, we need to focus on prevention and awareness so that 
you know, the earlier we can address diseases, the, the better our chances of dealing with them. And so there, there's mm-hmm. a number of different diseases in this series. So the, this one is almost alcoholic. And um, for someone who definitely does not want to consider themselves alcoholic but might consider that they're on their way, you know, like they'll admit that, well, I'm not comfortable with my drinking, but, um, you know, I'm not an alcoholic, but <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Um, this is probably the book for them or their family. And it really helps identify the patterns that lead to addiction over time and and consider ways to assess a person's drinking, whether it's problematic, what are your next steps. Um, It encourages um, uh, identifying if you're experiencing momentum with the substance um, and rather than just waiting for catastrophe to find you, right? So that's... That's something I'm really supportive of. Um, I think that shame and stigma keeps us hiding. Lack of information keeps us hiding, and that can take people to a very low place. So the more we can advocate advocate and help people, you know, be willing to identify early, then, the, you know, the, the greatest chance they have for recovery. And if they, can, if they can make changes before the brain changes actually occur, um, you know, some people, if they're early enough in the process, can moderate and uh, and have success with that. Um, so that I thought that was an interesting book, and it opened a really great dialogue that was very thoughtful and very scientific. But you know, it just brought out the question of, are you on a path that's going to lead you to addiction? And I uh, wish I had, had known about that book because I, I know, was always right? thinking to myself, <laughs> well, I, I used to say this, and and it sounds it just so phony now when I say it, but. I would say to myself, well, I'm not an alcoholic. I abuse alcohol, but I'm not an alcoholic because the suggestion is that I could stop at any time or I could moderate if I want to, but I don't want to. And then, of course, mm-hmm. I experienced it was, it was, for me, it was definitely two years where that progression sped up in a very noticeable and uncontrollable, uncontrollable way. So... Doctors Doyle and Nowinski, where were you <laughs> five years well, ago? Pay it forward, Catherine. Encourage other people to yes. read that book. Um, I, I think for me, um, I I was at a stage in my recovery where I was still sort of thinking that um, if I kind of got past um, making this change, and you know that I would be able to someday moderate. I was still thinking that way, but. Mm. You know, I can probably fix this. I'll get back on track, and you know, someday I'll be able to to moderate this. Reading that book really helped me understand that my um, my brain function had been permanently altered, permanently changed mm-hmm. by my pattern of alcohol use. So, you know, I read it kind of thinking I was almost alcoholic, and for me, it confirmed to me that no, I wasn't almost. <laughs> yeah, I was the whole shebang, and I think. Yeah. That was a turning point for me in my recovery where I really um, understood and and was okay with the knowledge that that I'm, I'm living with a, a permanent condition and that I need to take care of myself because this is serious. So I, I highly recommend that book. It's available um, uh, in paperback and as an e-book as well. So I don't know if there's an audio book for you, Amanda, but I can read it to you over the phone <laughs> if you yeah, call me later. But I, I well, think 
Amanda, have you surrendered to? <laughs> yes, I have absolutely surrendered. But, I, you know, I love that. And, and I have to say that, you know, these type of books, and especially when you you say, you know, what this book talks about, I know for me from the different programs that I had to go through, the ones that I elected to and the ones that I was um, ordered to, that the education that I got to me is an in- invaluable. Like, just mm. understanding the disease and, you know, and I always say that to people, like, do a little reading, understand alcoholism. Like, I am, you know, for me, it, um, it, I'm not ashamed, you know, that I'm an alcoholic um, at all. You know, it, it, it kind of was in the cards for me. Um, you know, I certainly could have never drank and probably not become an alcoholic, but I probably still would have had all the alcoholic behavior. Um, because I, I am was definitely predisposed to it, and um, you know, in learning all the different things that I learned and you know, various rehabs and programs, it, it really helped me a lot to say, you know what, this is, you know, okay, I am. It, it helped me with acceptance. You know, I am an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and you know, so now I, it's my job to do something about it. Um, where, you know, kind of like what you were saying, Catherine, you know, for years, I I would acknowledge that I was probably an alcoholic. I don't know if I, I – or a problem drinker. I knew I was a problem drinker. I knew I knew that I needed to cut back. That's all I ever did is cut back. I never, ever, ever, ever tried to stop completely. But, you know, I no, had all my neither. little games. <laughs> and, um, you know, understanding that, okay, you know, I – I am an alcoholic, which means I cannot drink at all, again, um, you know, for today. You know, I always, I keep it, I do keep it in the day. But, you know, understanding that, you know, for me, I'm just, it's going to take me to a very bad place. You know, from um, just a medical perspective, like understanding that, you know, because for me, I always thought I am so smart and I am so in control of the rest of my life that you know I could I could rein in my alcoholism and once I understood and accepted that I couldn't that it was just something that I have you know that I have I don't have control over um once I was you know, when able to understand why it was easier to accept it so I love I love Yeah I books I like agree that. I think all of that science this is Catherine it's so fascinating and and I definitely had a hard time understanding that this is a disease that took me a few months. And then once I started learning some of the actual science behind it and then linking that up with my own experience, it was a huge light bulb. Like, wow, how could I see it any other way? You know, I'm a smart, rational, capable person. Why would I keep going back and doing the same stupid thing over and over? It that doesn't follow, right? So once you right. start learning the science of it, and you say, and then you say, that's been my that's consistent with my experience. It definitely made it easier to um, to understand it and internalize it, and then also that that uh, does a lot. It goes a long way to get rid of the shame. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. Um, and Amanda, you you touched on something there. Something you said um, rang true for me and, and brings me to my next group of books. And you said uh, you said I might have never had a drink and still behaved alcoholically. And, mm. and um, 
I know exactly what you mean when you say that because there's sort of a set of mindset and behavior patterns and uh, we sometimes call it a dry drunk, someone who isn't drinking but is still um, a sort of a slave to the the thinking and the behaviors that, that come out of some of the junk that we're holding inside. And the work that we do in recovery, we say this time and time again on this show, it's it's only partly about not drinking and it's, a whole lot of it is about being introspective and figuring out, gosh, why why do I need to constantly seek relief? Why why am I hurting? Where is this pain coming from? What where are these thoughts coming from that that um get me off track? And so for me, um man, it was just like undoing uh, you know, a a big knot or a hairball or something that as I started to understand, oh my gosh, you mean the the way I feel about um, keeping my house clean has something to do with my recovery. The way I feel about mm-hmm. doing sit-ups has something to do with my recovery. Mm-hmm. So how annoying people are when I'm driving and they're not driving as smart as me. <laughs> oh, that with my recovery. So a lot of books, um, sort of self-help books that aren't about necessarily specifically about recovery have been very helpful to me in my recovery because it's really helped me um, – understand where some of my resentments and my um, shame and just how I feel about myself comes from. So I want to make sure I mention some of these tonight. Um, One of the beautiful books that I buy my friends is a book called The Art of Extreme Self-Care by Cheryl Richardson. And this is a a workbook, and it guides the readers through exercises in self-examination and assertion and boundaries. And it was the first book that helped me see I was really trapped in a good girl pattern. Um, Mm. When I read that, I was like, what? It's not good to be a good girl? What? (laughs) And I helped (laughs) me understand how much I resented being, you know, a good girl and how hard I was working to earn praise and how often I shortchanged myself in the process and then resented, you know, that whole pattern. And yet it was all fueled from within me. So I often give this book away um, to to people when they're going through a transition. So something like, uh, you know, a divorce or changing careers or um, just something that's a big shift in life where we need to do a lot of self-care. That's a great time to really, I mean, while you're sort of raw and open while your heart's sitting there on the table anyway let's have a look at it right <laughs> let's figure out how to take care of it so write that one down and i found thing you mentioned that tonight I, <laughs> I'm thinking yeah i i wrote that down and i have to say too that you know particularly in early recovery i've just noticed that a lot of us we want something tangible by way of action so the idea that it's a workbook Mm-hmm. can be that I think that might have appeal to a lot of people as well um mm-hmm. because we like to say okay now what are we going to do about it you know grab right. the bull by the horns but how yeah. do I do that um so that's that's interesting I'll have to look in that one for sure me too and then I thought it really we'd no discussion about great reading would be complete in in 2014 without mentioning Brené Brown um, Yay! Love, for cheer, cheer, cheer. She really deserves all the attention that that she's getting right now, um, by way of Oprah and uh, TED Talks and everything else. The book I'm reading right now um, by Dr. Brown is called "I Thought It Was Just Me, But It Isn't," 
Um, she's got a number of books out, and I believe this was her first one. So this is um, a compilation of research that she did on shame. She researches shame, which sounded a little soft and a little fluffy to me, but wow, is it fascinating. And um, the, probably the most revealing thing that I learned through reading this book, she she points out something that she calls shame identities. And what this is is it's messages we've picked up as kids, as um, you know, just as we go through life, of what we learn is bad. And we and we tuck that away as a shame identity. So uh, growing up for me, I learned that it was bad to be um, a, a bad mother. It was bad to be a bad business person. Um, it, was, it was bad to be weak, you know. And I would tuck those things away. And now, uh, throughout my life, then, whenever I saw myself behaving in a way that was like that, I would... I would think, oh, I'm being weak, this is bad, I'm really ashamed of this. And so I would just carry all the shame. And um, this book really guides you through picking that apart, figuring out where those messages came from, and how you might be perhaps overusing <laughs> your concept of shame identities. That's um, mm. an amazing book. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. It's just, it's it's so good. I, I, I Just buy it, read it. As soon as you, you know... As soon as the sun comes up tomorrow, I highly recommend that one. Have either of you mm-hmm. read Brene Brown? Yeah, I, this is Catherine. I haven't read that one. Um, oh, please, I'll look on my Kindle while we're talking. Um, the the book that I read, I I found it not just in a recovery sense, but it was really helpful in terms of that thinking in the workplace, that alcoholic thinking in the workplace, mm-hmm. and what. What I remember from the book was that she says um, men, predominantly from her research, have a fear of being seen as weak, and women predominantly have a fear of being seen as imperfect. And, you know, mm. raise your hand if that sounds familiar, you know, and it, just, it seems like everybody who comes on this show talks about, well, I, I thought I had to be a perfect mother. I thought I had to do everything perfectly and I hid everything and I put forth this great face and, and that's not, that wasn't true at all. And inside I was dying as I was drinking and oh, it's, it's called uh, daring greatly. Yes. And the, I can't see the, uh, the subtitle here. It's something about having the courage to be vulnerable, but daring greatly. You know what? I have it nearby. I have it in a gift bag for a friend. The subtitle is How the Courage to be Vulnerable Transforms the Way We Live, Love, Parent, and Lead. Hmm. So, Whoa. and this that really resonates with me right now because of the, the place that I'm at in some of my recovery work is showing me also that, that good girl stuff, Jean, that you just talked about. And so how I've struggled to ask for what I need because I'm so busy being perfect and being good girl. Mm-hmm. And then I can't make myself vulnerable. I have a hard time being vulnerable to say, well, this is what I need or this is how I really feel. And it's it's been a real hard process for me. So, um, hmm, Dr. Brown, maybe I need to revisit <laughs> this yeah. book. <laughs> and I, one of one of her great mantras is that um, vulnerability is courageous, and we we seem mm. to be so ashamed of being vulnerable and just so anxious to not be vulnerable, and yet we're we're really never more brave and heroic 
than when we're willing to open ourselves up and just be, you know, be real. So, yeah, so true. Um, you know, it's funny, I, are... I bought, I have, uh, sorry, I have, this is Amanda, I have two of Amy Hatfinney's books that I have on my shelf. I bought to read, and I also have, um, I believe I have that that book that you just said, Catherine, and also The Gifts of Imperfection. So these are all on my list of books that I really want to read. Um, i got to get myself reading. but Well, they're coming you know, recommended, I'm, so... Yes, I'm being kind to myself. You won't be wasting your time, Amanda. You'll at least know that. Yes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have one more book to recommend from my uh, non-recovery bookshelf that will support recovery. And this is a book that um, I had to read for work. I was assigned to to, um, present a seminar, and uh, this was the reading material that the seminar was based on. It's a book called The 85% Solution, and the author is Linda Galindo, and it is about personal accountability and leadership. And the the message behind this book is that um, we cannot always control what happens to us, but we can always control how we respond. And um, again, she takes you through some exercises and has some quizzes in it, and um, again, I thought it sounded very... um, simple and sort of pie in the sky. Oh, yeah, I can only control myself. But when I really started applying some of her exercises, I realized that I was blaming um, things, other people and other things for personal events in my life. And and I needed to just adapt that new mindset of, listen, I, I can't control that. I can only control me. So I'm going to, I'm going to drive this bus that I'm on. And it was a, it was a, wonderful shift of thinking and just really felt the weight of the world come off my shoulders when I started um, adopting some of her strategies. So that, again, really helps me. Resentments are a a big problem for alcoholics because uh, that's something we really have to work on and um, we're so much better for addressing them and letting them go. And so uh, really adopting that mindset of just being personally accountable for my behavior uh, really helps mm-hmm. me to just not be mad at everybody else all the time. And um, mm-hmm. that's a great book. It's an easy read, a quick read, and, and you know, you could probably charge it to your company credit card because it's a business book. So <laughs> 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 It's all for your career. Um, you know, we have spent a whole hour talking about books, and we have a list of other things for our toolboxes as well. Um we were going to talk about podcasts and and songs and all kinds of things. So here's my question, co-hosts: um, Do we want to race through our re- our remaining material, or do we want to keep talking about books and and maybe save the rest of our toolbox for another episode? What do you think? Hmm. Um, I'm just looking here. I'm just looking here too. Well, I think we could. Um, well, we're almost done talking about books. I've, there's a lot of other things too. I think we could maybe we keep it to maybe we keep it to books and podcasts, and we can talk about the other stuff on a different show. We can have a part two. That sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. Good plan. Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Um, well, let's move in. We've talked a bit about audio books then, and uh, I want to tell you three of my favorites 
that are just lighthearted listening, and yet uh, they were great for my recovery. I had no idea when I was buying them. One was Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, uh, because she's so funny and so brilliant. But she's also very upfront about the fact, not that she's in recovery, because she's not as far as I know, um, but just that she does, she's someone who doesn't, drinking isn't a big interest to her. It isn't part of her life. I don't know if she drinks at all. And um, to see someone who's so funny and fun and really the center of a lot of attention and very successful. And um, her book is just great. But I I listened to it in early sobriety and realized, you know, I don't have to be, uh, I don't have to be drinking to be, to be um, funny or to be, you know, not that I was ever funny when I was drinking. <laughs> I think it's a part of us that thinks, well, if I leave this behind, will I will I ever laugh again? And so that was a, right. a great one. Uh, Kathy Griffin, who is a very, uh, how would you describe Kathy Griffin? She's she's a hilarious Direct. medium, but boy, there's no <laughs> holds barred with that girl, is there? Yeah, um, that's true. Her book is called Official Book Club Selection, and she talks about the fact that uh, she doesn't drink and won't drink and um, and is just very, um, you know, she has a lot of personal issues, and she's very protective of herself, and she protects herself fiercely. And uh, I loved that about her. And again, um, it was a reminder that, you know, you can still be funny and strong, and it's a very light listen. And then the third one was Mr. Rob Lowe uh, has a book called Stories I Tell My Friends, and I downloaded that as an audio book just so that I could listen to him murmur in my ear for hours on end. And uh, and he <laughs> is a person in recovery, and he talks very openly about it in a number of chapters. And I listened to those over and over and over again. Um, I remember running in the country and uh, and just crying as I ran and just listening. And it's just, you know, sometimes it's just so great to connect with people who you think you have nothing in common with and who, you know, are up on some kind of a celebrity pedestal and yet you realize how connected we all are. Those are three of my yes. that those oh. fun the, the idea of funny books is, this is Catherine, is making me think of um, Jane Lynch, who's on Glee. Um, oh, yeah. her, me- her memoir, Happy Accidents, um, is quite funny. And she, she talks about... Um, Getting Sober in that book. And then also Carrie Fisher, her, her it's a book, but she, she did it as a one-woman play. It's called Wishful Drinking, yeah. and that's quite funny. And she's, she's struggled um, with her prescription medication addiction over the years, and she talks about that, and they're, they're quite funny and compassionate. Um. I'm going to tie this back to Brene Brown again, but the chapter I was just reading today in her book talks about laughter and how laughter helps us loosen the bonds of shame. And then hmm. there's another stage of laughter called knowing laughter. And you often hear us chuckle um, as we're speaking to each other on this show. Sometimes we're chuckling at things that aren't funny at all, but it's that knowing laughter of like, oh, yeah, yeah. I share that. Mm-hmm. And that when we share that knowing laughter um, with others, it's extremely healing and freeing. So these types of books um, are more than just mere distractions, I think. They're, they, you know, something really important happens to us when we share a mm-hmm. knowing laugh. Absolutely. And how about podcasts? I mean, 
obviously we have the fabulous Bubble Hour, which is on everyone's iPod. We know that. <laughs> are there are there other podcasts really? <laughs> it's hard. No. It's hard to say. It's hard to say. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, do you listen to podcasts, Catherine? Um. So the the other podcasts, you know, I kind of have. Um, you guys know me and my spirituality stuff. Um, so I love Tara Brock's podcast. So she really helps um, me tap into a place of healing and, and compassion. And then you mentioned the TED Talks with Brené Brown, and there are you can get those on podcasts. And for people who don't know what these are, you can Google them and look at the videos online. But there are talks about basically the best of human innovation and they really make me feel hopeful and inspired it's kind of nothing and sort of everything to do with recovery i feel like if it's possible to make a better life and a better world when you when you listen to these people and yeah, um you know it go ahead i've i've actually given a, a tedx talk which is like a baby ted talk um in the local community and you get a set of guidelines when you go to give a TED Talk. So it has to be uh, under 20 minutes long, and there's always a theme um, at an event. So when, you're, when you go to search TED Talks, you can search by themes, and you know that everything is going to be less than 20 minutes long. So it's great for car rides or you know walking the dog mm. or anything like that, just short, digestible bits. But they are always so, so good. Um, Amazing. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and and I was hopeful, you know, if if, I, if we mention the spirituality stuff, I would, if I can circle back to books for a second, because I would be remiss if I didn't mention Anne Lamott's nonfiction. I mentioned some of her fiction earlier, but I'm a reader of books about spirituality, um, and I I actually lump Brené Brown into that. Um, she speaks pretty openly about her spirituality, so hopefully she's okay with that. But um, Anne Lamott, it, she's just been very important to me. She herself has been sober for a long time. And she talks about when she was active and how she got sober in her memoir, Traveling Mercies, Some Thoughts on Faith. And I, I actually read that with interest and some hope when I was still drinking. And then again, after I got sober, I reread it. And she's published some books of essays, which started out as essays that she wrote on salon.com. Um, and they're really about finding grace and faith in everyday moments. So um, grace eventually, thoughts on faith, and plan B, further thoughts on faith, are, are two of those books. And she just she talks about the challenges of raising her son, her fears, the loss of people who are important to her. And, like, for example, there's one story in Grace Eventually called The Muddling Glory of God. And she, <laughs> she's going through something, and she, she desperately wants relief. From this emotional burden and it's a moment where you know in the past she would have turned to alcohol or drugs but instead she speeds to the supermarket and buys a pile of junk food and she describes just how it feels to try to bury emotions in food and then of course you know she feels physically and spiritually and mentally awful at the end of it and then she has this moment of grace and she remembers the key steps to pray and be patient, to treat yourself with compassion. And I can remember she talks about, you know, putting on lovely warm socks and getting herself a glass of cold water to soothe herself. 
and then she calls a friend to talk about how she's feeling. And I mean, these, this is how we recover, you know, having compassion, reaching out. And she's all about compassion and community and faith and prayer. And I just love this. And for me personally, it's really important to my recovery. I know that's not everybody's path, but for me, it's really essential. And um, I wanted to make sure that I mentioned those books. Yeah, I've heard you talk about them before, Catherine. This is Jean, and I, I think um, you've convinced me that I need to that I need to discover this author. Do you know if um, her books are available as audiobooks? I don't know, I okay. have to say. Um, I, I have them as, as e-books. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Sometimes it's nicer to have the book or the e-book because... You can go back. You go back differently than you might with the audio book. But why don't you talk? And I'll, I will look this up while you're while you're talking. Okay. Well, um, I want to tell you about two podcasts that I really enjoy that do a lot to support my recovery. One is uh, by uh, a life coach that I discovered listening to the Bubble Hour. Her name is Andrea Owen. And her website is Your Kick-Ass Life. And she's got this great podcast um, on all different aspects of life. And Andrea herself is very open about her recovery. And her podcast is about everything from disordered eating to um, a romance to um, life coaching and just all kinds of stuff. But she's a really engaging happy, bubbly, interesting person, and I, I really adore her podcasts. I enjoy them very much. And the other podcast I often listen to, and I'm curious to know your thoughts, ladies, um, I often listen to Dr. Drew, and I know that not everybody loves Dr. Drew, and that some folks find that the celebrity rehab thing that he did a while ago um, you know, was a little bit distasteful for some folks, but I have to tell you, I really believe that that man is one of the reasons that I was able to ask myself some hard questions because I used to watch that show, Drinking, and I mm-hmm. would listen to how he asked questions of people and I would answer him in my mind. So, um, you know, he'd be leaning forward and, and saying, how do you feel about that and tell me about this and, and I would always... I didn't care what the celebrity had to say. I was really answering those questions myself. And so he really provided me with a lot of questions to ask myself. And so I, I find in his podcast still, he, he often has some very insightful things to say. And he's a very, very passionate advocate for recovery. So that's one that I, I make sure I try and listen to. Oh, good recommendations. Yeah, absolutely. And these are... Uh, uh, According to uh, Amazon.com, those Anne Lamott books are available in audio editions, mm-hmm. just so you know. Lovely. I have a long drive this week, so I'm going to get one. There you go. <laughs> Amanda, in your hour and a half drive, what do you listen to every day? Oh, well, you know, I actually don't listen to many... I don't listen to any podcast. I have the occasional book I need to get. There's, you know, there's one that I just decided that I wanted to listen to, and I'm spacing on what it is right now. Um, but yeah, I tend to. Be, I actually tend to be on the phone. It's funny, you know, as 
that's the other as we were talking about books and you know podcasts and stuff like that i am i am i guess i'm a people person like i'm a in real life um people person so i I tend not to I tend to, you know, go to recovery meetings or I'm on the phone with my friends in recovery. Um, you know, they happen to be friends from before recovery too, but I I tend to be on the phone <laughs> talking, catching up with people um almost every day. It's kind of, you know, just a routine. You know, I have um two people that I call on my way into work and then on the way home sometimes if you know, if I have a audio book I'll I'll listen to it. I've I've re re listened to the ones that I had and um and, you know, several times because it is, like you said, not having the book there, sometimes it's harder to retain the information. So, you know, I've listened to both both of the two that I, I mentioned before, um again and again. And a lot of times it's just mindless radio. You know, it's um I you know a part of it is I think the car is my the one time that my brain is kind of quiet. Um, I, mm. do, I do find that my brain does go all over the place, so I try to just relax. And um, but it's interesting, um, especially in the mornings, being on the phone. I, I wonder, you know, if I just picked up a book in the morning because that's what I used to do. I would pick up a book and I would read. And um, what reading does is it opens up your mind to bigger things. So it, um, I think it distracts your mind enough that you can focus on some hard things. Like I always found that reading was something that focused me, and now I'm, <laughs> again, having a hard time focusing on reading. So um, <laughs> No, but this is going to be a great bridge. This is going to be a great bridge for part two because I think, you know, we can talk about that as, you know, a really important part of the toolbox is reaching out to people and finding sanctuary if it's in the car or somewhere else. That's that, right. I think that's definitely true. And we um, we are almost out of time, and um, we have only made it through the book section of our discussion. So I am very true to my word when, when uh, people in recovery get talking about the, the tools in their toolbox. <laughs> we get very excited <laughs> about about it and very excited to share what we know. So I'm going to give you a little teaser that uh, when we um, bring you part two of this discussion, we will be talking about um, not only the people that we reach out to and the ways that we reach out, also the food and beverages that we enjoy and that help us in our recovery, the activities and the groups, the, the ways we do self-care, and uh, and the people that we choose to engage with and how we engage with them as ways to support our recovery. So that'll be part two of the toolbox. So clearly our toolboxes are very large and very full, and uh, and we hope that yours are too. What I'm hoping that uh, our listeners will do is uh, pop onto the Bubble Hours Facebook page or website, and uh, there's a comment section underneath each um, episode. So underneath this episode, if you want to jot us a note about what books you recommend, uh, please do that and and let us know what you think. And if you've um, had a chance to read anything that we've discussed today, I hope that you'll um, let us know how you found that as well. Catherine and Amanda, do you have anything to add before we sign off from tonight's episode? 
No, I'm excited to hear what the the listeners have to recommend as well. I've I've taken quite a few notes here myself, so it sounds like I'll be downloading a bunch of books tonight. <laughs> <laughs> More work for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and I have a I have a new determination to get back on the horse with my reading. So because um, I do miss it. It, it was just a, that was a sanctuary for me. So I'm, I, I, um, it goes to the self-care. I need to find time to just sit with myself, which I don't, I don't often find that time. So it, it, this has inspired me to recommit. That's good. You could multitask, have a bubble bath and read, or get a pedicure and read. I don't have a bathtub. That's a problem. <laughs> I have a stand-up, stand-up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a whole other show. <laughs> I know. Somehow, home renovations on the way. <laughs> All right. Well, as we sign off tonight, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Bubble Hour. And we ask that you take a moment to visit our website of our parent organization. That's www.shiningstrong.org. You can learn about our other activities and events, including the website Crying Out Now and other materials for recovery advocacy. So we want to thank you all for listening to the Bubble Hour, and we wish you a wonderful week ahead. Stay tuned for Part 2. We'll be bringing that to you in the weeks to come. So have a good night. Good night. Good night, everyone. Thank you.